This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. I've got a crazy real name, so there's not a not another one like that. So I'm not going to tell you my real name, but it isn't Stormy, I promise. Well, bless all of you. I'm glad you're here today. If you're a guest, we're honored to have you with us. If you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand? Our ushers would gladly get you a Bible. Once you get a Bible, go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 25. And some of you may say, where is Ezekiel? Well, he's tucked in there between Jeremiah and Daniel in that area. You'll find him. Ezekiel, chapter 25. Okay, as we're going here today, we've been on our series, 7 times 70. And the Lord Jesus highlighted this in Matthew 18, specifically verses 21 and 22. And so I believe what he's talking about there with forgiveness is that forgiveness must become a way of life. In other words, we're going to have to do it day by day by day by day. And so make yourself open to the Word of God today, okay? And I believe God will speak to our hearts. Ezekiel 25, begin with me in in verse number 15. Thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines dealt vengefully, or revengefully, and they took vengeance with a spiteful heart, a ill will heart, to destroy because of the old hatred. Now, there's four major words or phrases right there in that verse that I want to highlight. First of all, he said that they wanted to deal revengefully. Have you ever wanted to deal revengefully with somebody? You don't raise your hand because I know the answer to that. Every one of us have wanted to do that and some of you say, I haven't. Well, we're going to pray for liars a little later. And so this is every one of us. The second thing that he highlighted here was a spiteful heart or malice or ill will. Have any of us ever had ill will towards somebody who's wronged? Yes. And then the last thing he said was old hatred. Old hatred. You know what old hatred tells me? It's been around a long time. It's relentless. How many have ever been around somebody that you can tell they have old hatred in their life and you say, how do you know that? Well, they may say stuff like this. Well, I remember in the summer of 1988 and I remember in 2001 and I remember da-da-da-da-da-da and they can tell you specifically dates. That may be you. Are you dominated by old hatred? And the last word in this verse that I highlight is the ultimate goal was to destroy. I don't know about you, but when I read into that, I have to look and I say, do any of these words, do they they define me today? Do they define your life today? And we find in this thing called life that it's very easy to get hurt. It's very easy to get wounded. And sometimes those things become very real to our life. But when I think about plotting revenge like he's talking about, look in in verse 17, two verses down, what Father God thinks about it. I will execute great vengeance on them with furious rebukes. 
And they shall know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. So I believe the Lord's saying in this passage, when we take vengeance into our own hands and we plot revenge against other people, God doesn't like it. We're taking a place in life that is only reserved for God. Only God. Now, go back to your left to the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 2. And some of you said, the song of who? The Song of Solomon, and you may say, where's that? Well, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then the Song of Solomon, chapter 2. And as we get there, I'm going to read in verse 15. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. Very, very familiar verse, and it says, Catch us the foxes. Catch us all the foxes. Now, when Solomon wrote this, guys, He liked women, but he wasn't talking about women here, okay? That's not what he was referring to. He goes on to say this, the little foxes that spoil the vines. One translation says, the little foxes before they ruin the vine. For our vines have tender grapes. So when you look at the little foxes, many times in our lives, we think about only the big things. But you know, there's some little foxes that can cause us to disturb a relationship or destroy a relationship. Now, in this passage, when he talks about the little foxes, it's listed in a couple areas. Number one, the little foxes of unbelief, the little foxes of resistance, and the little foxes of a hardness of my heart. The hardness of heart comes anytime a human being quits repenting of their sin or they won't forgive. Wow. Those are the little foxes that will ruin the vine for every one of us. And so something happens when I catch those little foxes at an early age in my life and say, I'm not going to allow them to dominate me. Now, I'm going to have you go back into the New Testament, go to the book of Mark chapter 11. And as you're going to Mark 11... I was reading the newspaper a couple days ago and there was a story in there that there was a man who four years ago had murdered his boss. His boss was in his early 30s. And they found this guy guilty of killing his boss and they sentenced him. And after they sentenced him, they allowed this young man who was dead, his family members, to speak to the guy who had murdered him. The first one that spoke to him was this guy's younger brother. And he specifically said to him, I want you to know, you've ruined my life. You you took my greatest friend, a hero, from me. And he said, my prayer for you is that you die a slow death in prison. And then the next one that shared was the young man's father. And he said, the last four years, you've caused incredible pain to my life. But he said, I want you to know to this day, I forgive you. And I pray while you're in prison that you will find a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And I looked at that and I thought, I can handle it man's ways, 
or I can handle it God's way. And when I do things God's way, there's always a blessing. But too many times we want to do it our way. Now, the reason I highlight here, we're going to the book of Mark chapter 11, is that unbelief and even unforgiveness can hinder our prayer lives. And I want you to see this biblically today. And again, I'm going to highlight, be open to the truth. Be open to the word of God. Mark 11, verse 12. Now the next day when they had came out from Bethany, Jesus was hungry and seen from afar a fig tree having leaves. So seeing the leaves on there, what's his thought? He went on to see perhaps if he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. So Jesus sees these leaves and he thinks, man, there's got to be figs in there, but there wasn't. Now, I read that verse because I'm going to come back to that in a little bit, and I want to highlight some off of it, but I'm going to have to paraphrase just for a little bit. So when Jesus sees that there's no figs on this tree, he curses the fig tree. Better stated, he speaks a negative against it. He didn't say, you blankety blank tree. He didn't do that. But he said, from this point on, there will be no fruit upon you. Well, the disciples heard him say that, and on the next day, they're strolling by, and they said, look, the tree that the Lord cursed is dead. So in this place here that just took place, Jesus takes this, and he takes this time to not only teach his disciples, but to teach me and you how the God kind of faith works. Verse 22, so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God or constantly have faith in God or the God kind of faith. Now, I love this right here that Jesus not only challenges them to live by the God kind of faith, but he tells us how. And he goes on to say in verse 23, for surely I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Now, again, the mountain is a place in our life that seems impossible, but with God's, all things are, are possible. When I get a hold of what he's saying here, so Jesus right here, he tells us one of the ways that God kind of faith works is through the power of your tongue. He goes on to say in verse 24, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, there's a nugget of truth there. He didn't say just pray. He said, but when you pray, cross your fingers and hope it works. He said, when you pray, be sure to knock on wood. No, that's not what he said. He said, when you pray, believe that you receive and you'll have it. Let me ask you something. The last time when you prayed, did you believe you received? So here's the deal with this passage. Oftentimes we quit in verse 24. The Lord Jesus doesn't. And so what you're going to begin to see here in verse 25 and 26, Jesus ties forgiveness to our prayers. Better stated, a condition of prevailing prayer is tied to a forgiving spirit. Watch verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, if you have something in your heart against another person, forgive him. Now, one translation says, 
Forgive him first. Oftentimes we get this out of alignment. We pray and then we want to forgive. No, he said the very first thing you are to do, if you have something against someone else, he said, forgive them. Forgive them. No ifs, ands, and buts. Forgive him. And then he goes on to say, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Release them. Send them away. Unforgiveness, bitterness, even that old hatred. Why? So our Father can forgive us. Now, this is where verse 13 comes back into play. Uh, into play. When we don't forgive, we become like a tree that sprouts leaves but it never has fruit. I'm going to give you a thought off of that. How many times right now in your prayer life does it seem like the skies of heaven are shut to your prayers? In other words, when I pray, here it comes back, here it comes back. Could it be a result that I have unforgiveness in my heart? Now, we may blow this off and act like this isn't a big deal, but look what verse 26 says. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. So God's forgiveness toward you and me is dependent or a direct result of how I forgive other people. So what he's telling us there, when you withhold forgiveness to another person, God withholds forgiveness toward you. Ow. That hurts. That's not fun. But it's real. And so I ask you a question right now. Do you have unforgiveness in your heart? Turn with me back to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And the reason I say turn back there, we were here a couple weeks ago. Hebrews chapter 12. And as you're turning to Hebrews 12, before I highlight this chapter a little bit, I I read this article the other day about this former heavyweight boxer named James Toney. And many of you who watch boxing, you remember. And they said about him, he was so aggressive in the room. I'm not in the room, in the ring. And the guy asked him, they said, why are you so aggressive? Why do you fight with such aggression when you get in the room, in the ring again? And his response was, when I was a young boy, my father abandoned my mom and me and all of my siblings. And he caused us to live where we never knew where our next meal or our next home was going to be. And he said, because the wounds and the pain he caused me, every time I get in the ring, I picture my father's face on my opponent. Wow. You know what that showed me? He had some old hatred. He had some old bitterness. Now let me throw something in here off of that. It's very evident he had been hurt at a young age in life. 
But just because I experience pain at a young age or any age doesn't mean I'm exempt from not having to forgive. So in this passage here in Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12 talks about that we're in this race. And it says in verse 1, there are things that will try to easily entangle us to get us out of this race. I believe part of the things that entangle us are friends, ones that don't push you to Jesus, they pull you away from Jesus, and activities we do. But there are also weights that pull us away. And in this passage, it says one of the greatest is the area of sin. Sin will get you off track. But if you keep reading Hebrews 12, you come to verse 15. Now look at, look at this at verse 15 with me. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Now he wouldn't have warned us of this if this wasn't possible. This literally means that we leave the faith. We quit serving God. He goes on to say, least any root of bitterness springs up. Least any root of bitterness. Now think just a little bit about a root. You don't see a root. It's under the ground. But a root of bitterness will only produce a fruit of bitterness. The only way you change the root, or the only way you change the fruit, is you must change the root. Now, every one of us in here has ever had to pull up weeds. You know, it's a lot easier to pull them up when they're little. How many of you have ever tried to pull up a big root? And you pull on that thing and you pull on that thing and all you break off is the top part of it. I hate when that happens. It's kind of like mowing your lawn. Sometimes we got a bunch of dandelions in our yard and we whack them off and you know for a day or two they look great but you didn't do anything with the root. And before long here they come back again. Well, that's the same with the root of bitterness. I've got to get it at the root. Why? Keep reading. That the root of bitterness springs up and it causes trouble. The New Living Translation says it will cause you trouble. How does that trouble look? And he goes on and says... And by this, by the root of bitterness, many become defiled. Many become corrupted. Many become contaminated. And so we begin to see something here that the root of bitterness can do. It'll bring trouble to your life. And it'll cause you to be defiled. I don't want to play around with the root of bitterness. I'm going to have you go way back into the Old Testament to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. You may ask, so is your goal today to make us really search the Scriptures? Well, Ruth will be Joshua, Judges, then Ruth, and then 1 Samuel. Ruth, chapter 1. Now, once you get there, I, I encourage you to read the book of Ruth. It's four chapters. Incredible book. 
But I got to paraphrase a little bit here. So in the book of Ruth, there's a man named Elimelech. Elimelech lives in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is known as the breadbasket. That's what Bethlehem means. But in this time of Elimelech's life, Israel was not in good shape. They weren't living for God. And so in Bethlehem, there's a drought. If you ever study the Old Testament, anytime there was a drought, a drought was a result because they weren't living for God. So Elimelech gets this brilliant idea. We're going to leave Bethlehem and we're going to move to Moab. Now the problem with Moab, it was an ungodly nation. They worshiped idols. But during this time in his life, Moab wasn't in a drought. So Elimelech moves his entire family to Moab. He had a wife named Naomi. He had two sons, one named Chilion, the other one Malan. And I may have really butchered them, but I got close, okay? So they go to Moab. Before long, these two sons, they marry these two Moabite women. And not long after, this man named Elimelech dies. And not long after Elimelech dies, these two sons, Malan and Chilion, they die. And so his wife, whose name is Naomi, which means pleasant, she decides, I'm going to move back to Bethlehem. But she's got two daughter-in-laws. One says, I'm going to go. The other one says, I'm not going. So the one that goes with her is a woman named Ruth. Now, it's very clear in this story that this woman named Naomi is brokenhearted. Life has been cruel to her. So we pick up in Ruth 1, verse 19. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? So Naomi and Ruth come strolling back into Bethlehem and the city's excited and they're all saying, is this Naomi? Look, it's Naomi. Now she's been gone for 10 years. Verse 20. But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Bitter. Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. Now watch her her response why she says call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The Almighty. That's reference here to Psalms 91.1. He who dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So we know when she says this, she's referring to God. So her exact words is, the Almighty God has dealt very bitterly with me. So right here, her reply, it shows that she's lost touch with her identity with God. And the New International Version says it's this way. The Almighty has made my life very bitter. You know, the events of your life, my life, and Naomi's life, they have the potential to do that. People hurt us. 
But in this situation, we must realize the events of our life don't ever change the way God sees you. God sees you as a son or daughter. The problem is that the events of life don't change the way God sees us. The events of life change the way we see God. We start looking at God like God's against us. God's mad at us. Verse 21. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me or ruined me? She blames God. Let me ask you something right now. Do you blame God? Or there's other people do you blame? See, the problem with this right here is human nature. Then when life deals us a very difficult hand, it's very easy to play the blame game. But in this situation right here, the destruction and the pain she was experiencing... She never looks and says, was it because my choices? Because God didn't make a move there. She chose to move there. And so right here in this passage, she inappropriately indicates the circumstances is to be a result of God's actions. And so many times in our life, that's what we begin to do. We begin to play the blame game. We begin to get over into fault finding. And fault finding and the blame game, neither one of those are fruits of the Spirit. And so off of that right now, let me ask you something. Who do you blame? Do you find fault and you say stuff like, well, I wouldn't be this or I wouldn't do this if they wouldn't have done that to me. And so what ultimately happens is, is because the wounds in our pain in our life, if we don't deal with them, our past starts to determine the future. And we get caught in this unending cycle where we just want to blame people. We want to blame people. And so right here, you see the result of a bitter heart. That gets better for things change. Turn with me to one last passage today, the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And when I talk about bitterness and I talk about unforgiveness and I talk about old hatred, the only cure is forgiveness. Now I'm taking us to the book of Matthew chapter 5. This is called the Beatitudes or the Beatitudes. And when Jesus talked about these, these weren't suggestions. These weren't even recommendations. I believe Jesus commands us. And when I look at scriptures like what we're getting ready to read, sometimes I say out of my own mouth, the word of God sometimes is annoyingly accurate. I look and I think, man, Jesus, you set the bar high. You know why? He wants to bless us. Matthew 5, verse 43 You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the world. That's how the world operates. That's how the world thinks. 
Get them before they get you. It's interesting. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. And so we live in a very divided nation right now. And I'm not going to get politically correct, okay? I'm called to preach the word. But a year ago at this time, about 50% of our population say, I hate Donald Trump. And a year later, about 50% of people say, I hate Joe Biden. But it's interesting here that the Lord Jesus said, love your enemies. That's for Christians. We're to love our enemies. So is there certain types of people that would never be a Christian because they know you are? Ow, that hurt. That hurt. And so I I can't give up on what Jesus says here. Love your enemies. Grace me to love my enemies, Lord. Bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Let me ask you something. You got anybody that's ever cursed you? You got anybody you know that right now they would say about you, I hate their guts. Is there anybody in your life who has spitefully used you and persecute you? Well, welcome to the NFL. That's all of us. That's every one of us. You know, the years of my life of pastoring, I've been able to see people that walked in great bitterness. And I've seen people that have walked in forgiveness. That rocks my world when I look and think, I don't know how they forgave like they did. So I'm going to rewind you 20 years ago. And we were meeting in East Lubbock off of 50th and Q in a little place called Briarcroft. And one Sunday, this young single mama came walking in and she had two or three kids at the time. And I remember Sunday after Sunday, she kept coming. She rededicated her life and had Jesus come back in and be Lord of her life and after about six weeks, we said, man, we, we want to get to know you. We want to know your story. So we went to eat lunch with her. This is visible 20 years ago because I went to Chuck E. Cheese. God help me. <laughs> if you like Chuck E. Cheese, the Lord bless you. <laughs> but we're in Chuck E. Cheese. And she tells us the story of her life. And she said, I grew up in a home with a mom and dad. But there was never any church. There wasn't nothing with the word of God. She said, when I was in junior high, I got off my school bus. and began to walk down the street to go home. And she said, I noticed my street full of police cars. 
And the closer I got to my house, I realized those police cars and the ambulance was at my house. And as I walked up the sidewalk, she said, I saw. I saw my younger brother weeping. And I said, what happened? What's going on? And he said, dad killed mom today. And then he took the gun and blew his head off. I've never experienced that. I, I, I can't imagine what was going on in her heart. So she said, in one day, I lose my mom and dad. She said, it fractured our family. They, they sent my siblings and me to different family members. And she said, I was sent to an uncle's house. After a few weeks, my uncle would come in late at night and he would sexually abuse me. I've never experienced that. She said, to get away from that, I moved in with my best friend. Before long, her older brother would come in and sexually abuse me. She said, at an early age, the first man that showed me any attention, I got pregnant by him. He began to physically abuse me. She said, not long after I got married, he began to physically abuse me. She said, I began to develop an incredible hatred for men. I get it. Every man in her life had, had wronged her. She said, I went to a church service and I heard about this man named Jesus who forgave me. And she said, I received him as Lord of my life. And then when they led me through salvation, they said to me, but there's a lot of people you're going to have to forgive. And she said, I knew in my heart the only way that all that unforgiveness and that bitterness would ever be released was me to forgive. 20 years later, I still get Christmas cards from her. And when I read this, those who spitefully use you and persecute you, the degree of her persecution is nothing like I've ever experienced. But I saw a young lady ooze with joy and, and ooze with the love of God. And I would look and I would think, I, I don't know how she even exists. I don't know how she can even comprehend this thing called life with everything she's experienced. But I saw firsthand 
that when we obey the scriptures, God moves, God heals, God restores. And our God is not in the business of replacing people. He's in the, in the business of repairing people. He's a restorer. And our God to this day, when we do things in a biblical way, he still does extreme makeovers. And today you may be in need of an extreme makeover. You may be one of these who's been persecuted and spitefully used in ways that none of us right around even know what you've gone through. Is your closet full of old dirty clothes? And what I mean by that is on the hangers of your closet, is it full of unforgiveness? Is it full of bitterness? Is it full of old hatred? Well, I believe Jesus wants to give us some new clothes. I believe Jesus wants to put on us, be kind, tender-hearted, loving and forgiving one another. And when I say that, God never intended for us to be able to do that in our own power, and our own might. You're saved by grace through faith. The only way you get love is the love of God. Father God, grace me with your love. Let me love people like you love people. Let me see people through your eyes. Let me see people through your tears. The only way you walk in joy is, Father God, deposit your joy, deposit your peace. But where I'm going with this, Father God, grace me with your forgiveness today. Grace me. And sometimes people have this thought. Well, I'll forgive them when they apologize to me. Well, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't say, Father, I'll forgive the Roman soldiers when they tell me they're sorry. See, the forgiveness wasn't for their good. It's for my good. This is a hard gospel to swallow, I know. But anytime we get over on these things, God's wanting to heal. God's wanting to release stuff in our life. But because of unforgiveness and bitterness, we've dammed up the things of God. He can't flow like he desires to. I'm going to ask you to stand up right there where you're at. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision. It's not a feeling and it's not an emotion. And so when the Lord Jesus said, pray for him. There's been times in my life I said, Lord, I'll pray for them. I'll pray you break their knees right at the kneecap. And then one day the Lord, just in his, his loving way, began to move in my life. And I remember saying, Father God, I ask you to do a work in them.
do a work in them. And sometimes it would be daily that I would see that person's face and I'd say, Lord, do a work in them. You, you know how you know that you haven't forgiven them? Is when you see that person or you hear that person's name in a conversation and this incredible high octane ping on the inside of you rattles you on the inside and you're like... But I kept saying, Lord, do a work in them. Do a work in them. Father God, I ask you to do the same way you do a work in me. Do a work in them. And, and after weeks and months and even years, they weren't just words anymore. I actually got to a place where I meant it. See, the reason I tell you that none of us are exempt from these things. If you don't think you, you're, you're exempt from Offenses? I'll never be offended. Just go hang out in the Walmart parking lot for about an hour today. Just go into Walmart. If you work at Walmart, I'm not against Walmart. <laughs> Bow your head with me. Father God, we love you today. And Lord, we know just through the scriptures that you're the God who does extreme makeovers the same way that you took a woman named Bitter and you healed her heart. And so, Lord, ones of us in here today that whoo, we have a root of bitterness in us, unforgiveness, some. Lord, I got old hatred in me. And I need your help today. I need your grace today. I need you to breathe on me today. See, my job is never to fix you. That's God's job. My job is to preach the word and give you an opportunity to reply or, or respond to the truth because only the truth will set you free. And so as our team gets ready to sing, today may be the day that you say, Lord, I, I need the beatitudes of Matthew 5 to come alive in me. And it may be this simple thing that today, Father God, I forgive them. I forgive them, Father God, and I ask you to forgive them. And I ask you to do a work within me today. And so as they begin to sing, I, I welcome you into these altars to say, God's going to move in my life today. Go ahead. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com